0: Looking down from Wellington and Dundas, things look not too bad. Nice sunshine, no horrific traffic jams. Okay, who was stuck? Christian DeVino is producing the show today. He was stuck. 45 minutes, we were getting calls into the newsroom. If you don't know what we're talking about, a train had a mechanical issue coming right across, you guessed it, Richmond, and then various other spots. And that train stuck and it stayed there and nobody could get through at any of the crossings that were being blocked off. And traffic backed up all the way to what, Gamage on Oxford, all the way to Warncliffe on Oxford, complete parking lot. So fortunately, the train has moved and I think traffic is now back to normal. Worst traffic jam that you've ever been in if you were stuck in that? Christian, what do you think? Worst traffic jam you've been in? I couldn't get home. <laughs> it was that bad. You couldn't get ho- Christian couldn't get home. So you were trying to get home from where? what are you talking from last night what are you talking about I was driving from Toronto this morning uh, came from back home I drove all the way over
1: here everything was going smoothly until I finally arrived into the city I tried for 30 minutes just trying to get home because I live uh okay. just right next to the Richmond and Oxford train tracks I actually went around Platte to Platts Lane went back through Riverside into the city came back up Richmond and just I gave up I came here
0: you were so close so wait a minute, you navigated the entire 401, you got through all that, no problem, you get into your very own city, ph stopped. Completely. Whew. All right, worst traffic jam stories, we need these throughout the show. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. 45 minutes in downtown London, it happens every once in a while. This is why, and it won't really be a big election issue, some people will raise it though. This is why people say we've got to move the tracks out of the downtown core. And usually they don't necessarily point to the ones at Richmond and Piccadilly. But, yeah, that's that's kind of where a big problem can erupt from time to time. But doing that, that's that's impossible. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to happen. So... If you're looking to alleviate problems like that, no, it's it's just a matter of finding a way to get around them. We've had some nasty stuff over the last year. Remember that storm in the, in the winter where everything was ice? It was just that little, little bit of ice on the roads. And it was taking some people two hours to get across London. Normally what? We can do it in 25 minutes. Easy. If you're going Hyde Park Road... To Veterans Memorial Parkway? What's that, 25 minutes? Gotta be. Can't be more than that. But it was taking two hours. So, worst traffic jam you've been stuck in. Is there a 401? Have you ever been in a traffic jam where you actually have just said, forget this, and you get out of your car and you come back later? Remember the snow on the 402 years ago? You had people who had to do that. Otherwise, they would have been living in their car in a snowstorm for days on end. And they started walking. Eventually were picked up. So, We see some nasty things from time to time. Worst traffic jam you've been in. Let us know what that is. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. We're going to talk a lot of traffic-related stuff on the show today. We're going to look at autonomous vehicles. We're going to talk more about cycling downtown, how to make it safer. And yesterday, if you missed it on London Live, we heard from Steve Cordes. He cycles all over the place. And... He talked about being on Colburn. I don't know if you've been on Colburn. There are train tracks there, but there was no train stuck today. Instead, what Colburn now has is the green bike lane, and then they have the little barriers and the little concrete posts. Well, that's the safest he's ever felt cycling in downtown London. And he brought up King Street yesterday. A lot of people have brought up King Street saying that's where bike traffic can go because there are bike lanes, but now that the bus- buses have been pushed onto King Street, you've got bus drivers who, who, as Steve said, this has to be a nightmare. In your blind spot, you've got cyclists and you have to pull over to make a stop. I mean, this is this is rough stuff. So what do we do about this? Well... Could we just put down more of these barriers? Could we make those all over the city? We will ask that of the manager of transportation with the city of London at about 140. So that's coming up as well. I want to talk about sidewalks. A little later on, I want to talk about baseball. I still have the theory that if baseball did not exist, happy All-Star game yesterday, Jay hap saved the day, and now he'll be traded, probably. So Blue Jays fans could get a start or two more out of J-Hap, and then they'll wave goodbye to him. We will have Blue Jays baseball for you on Friday night. They'll take on Baltimore. Probably won't have to face Manny Machado. He's in the works in just a short order. Should be officially traded. And then we do have to talk about another trade that is just buzzing around. everywhere. When was the last time an NBA trade buzzed around people who don't follow the NBA? I'll get to that in just a minute. But as far as baseball goes, I still hold this theory. If baseball didn't exist and you had an idea for baseball and you walked up to somebody who had a lot of money, today the Forbes list of most valuable franchises came out. Jerry Jones has a franchise in the Dallas Cowboys worth $4.8 billion. He bought it for $140 million. It's worth $4.8 billion. So if baseball didn't exist, you could walk up to somebody like Jerry Jones, who's a big sports fan, and you could say, hey, Mr. Jones, could I have five minutes of your time? And hopefully he would say, yes, you should be dressed nicely. He would respect that. He wears suits. And if he sat there and listened to you, you could pitch an idea for a game, and that game would feature four bases and a bat and a ball, and you would try and hit the ball and run around the bases. And even Jerry Jones would probably look at you and say, and... What's everybody doing while all this is happening? Well, they're, they're standing in various parts of a field, big field. Would fit on your football field. Oh, huh. are they running into each other? Nope, not even allowed to do that at home plate anymore. So no, sometimes outfielders crash into each other. Usually one of them gets hurt. It's terrible. Don't want to see that. He goes, no, oh, okay. Um, are there a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of times where things get really exciting? Uh, every once in a while, somebody hits this ball over a wall. That's pretty exciting. Hmm. You could pitch it to him, and he would probably say, "You know what? I'm a shrewd investor. I once took 140 million and turned it into 4.8 billion, and it wasn't even 140 million of his money. He kind of grabbed other investors. Eventually, bought them out. Yeah, I'll take a pass. Yeah, I don't think so. Nobody would create baseball. And there's a lot of discussion right now in the United States especially, about the future of baseball because they keep looking at TV ratings. And people who are under the age of, I don't know, 100? No, it's not like that. It's under the age of about 30, are not really watching baseball in the same way that, I guess, they used to be. I would argue they're not watching sports, period, in the way that they used to be. But not watching baseball. So in the U.S., a couple of media outlets have actually done little, little, features this week about baseball and where they expect it to go so we decided to look at that from a Canadian perspective and we'll actually get the numbers from a participation point of view in about an hour from now as we talk about where baseball in Canada sits because if you look at participation in baseball things are actually okay things are doing just fine. things are doing really well but the sport itself at the major league level, who knows? There's a lot of concern in the U.S. So we'll talk about that. And who knows? We may get into the human brain at some point. For anybody who was stuck in traffic, though, I do want to bring you the, either the best or the worst traffic story of the week. This happened in Portland, Oregon. There was a big traffic jam yesterday morning. And two cars were stuck side by side. And one of the cars had a guy in it, the other car had another guy in it, and one kind of motioned to the other, hey, can you roll down your window? And so the guy rolls down his window and he says, do you have a cigarette? And the guy says, no. And the guy asking for a cigarette then reaches down, grabs a gun, points it at the other guy's head and he says, are you sure you don't have a cigarette? And the other guy says, still no. And he's a little freaked out by this whole gun and kind is of, kind of pointed at him. It wasn't in his face, but it was pointed at him. And so he just says, no, no, not at all. The first guy with the gun rolls up his window. The other guy who had the gun pointed at him called 911 because they're in a traffic jam. Made it pretty easy for police to identify the vehicle, identify the guy, and uh, he's been arrested. Up next, do want to have a couple of words on the Kawhi Leonard trade. You might hear a lot of people talking about the Kawhi Leonard trade. The Toronto Raptors of the National Basketball Association have acquired Kawhi Leonard. And this will be big news to anybody who is a basketball fan. But I'll give you how it can be big news. How this can actually be interesting if you don't watch basketball at all. This is going to be a fascinating story. And I'll tell you why that is next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Email from Gus. Gus says, coming across the 401 from the 400 to the 427, three hours. That's the worst traffic jam he's been in. Gus does add, I didn't get out of the vehicle, but I listened intently to traffic reports. Every one of them made me more and more frustrated. Worst traffic jam you have been in. We had a 45-minute one in downtown London because a train had a mechanical issue. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. If you have a great story, use the phone, 643-2222. Kawhi Leonard is now a member of the Toronto Raptors. And here's how to be interested in this story if you don't care about basketball. Here's the situation. Kawhi Leonard... Played for the San Antonio Spurs last year, only he didn't play for them very much. He suffered a quad injury, and then they got to a point where doctors had apparently cleared him, and he decided he wasn't going to come back. And the soap opera kind of played out quietly, and eventually it was made public that Kawhi Leonard wanted out of San Antonio, that he'd really like to go to a place like, I don't know, Los Angeles? Hey, Los Angeles is a great town. Great town to play basketball in. LeBron James just went there. You could play with him. And that didn't happen. He was traded to the Toronto Raptors. And he made it pretty clear that he didn't really want to go to the Toronto Raptors. Not very happy about being with a team like the Toronto Raptors. He hasn't come out really publicly since and said these things. But he didn't really want to be traded to the Raptors. He becomes a free agent at the end of this year, so he can go wherever he wants. So the Raptors now have one year, which, as you'll hear talked about, means they will probably do everything they can to win a championship this year, which will be fun for basketball fans and We the North and all that sort of thing. If you don't care about the NBA, if you don't care about basketball, here is why this is going to be interesting. The Raptors are like let's say, girl or guy, doesn't matter which, to tell the story, I'm going to use a guy. They're like the guy who likes a girl, and she wants nothing to do with him whatsoever. Does not want to spend any time with him, doesn't want to talk to him, doesn't really have any interest at all. That guy has decided, you know what? I really like her. We're going to be married. Yeah, one day, we're going to be married. And he doesn't give up. Now, this was maybe best outlined in the movie Ghost, and you could pull that trick.
2: Everyone was an Henry. Henry! She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. No, sir. I'm an eighth old man, I'm Henry. Henry the eighth, I am. Remember this? Second verse, same as the
0: first. I'm so, the Patrick Swayze's character... Sang, I'm Henry VIII, I am, back to back to just, and that's the only verse. It's a terrible song, but it's catchy. And he sang that back to back to back to back until, who was it, Demi Moore's character agreed to go out with him. And then eventually, you know, lived happily ever after until he got killed and became a ghost. But other than that, it worked out well. So, the Raptors now have a year to court... Kawhi Leonard they have a year to say here is why Toronto is a good place and it is a lot of NBA players will say Canada not going to Canada dog sleds igloos snow? not doing it well they get here and they find you know what actually people are pretty polite for the most part they leave you alone I mean Kawhi Leonard might have a little issue with that but yeah they're they're nice you know place is safe you get to live in a good spot toronto's a good city if you're living in the right spots not bad to get around stay away from the 401 apparently according to gus at certain points between the 404 and the 427 but Kawhi leonard could find a good spot the team around him has a lot of skill so they have a year to try and convince Kawhi leonard that toronto is a good place to be and then who knows what could happen with this team so it's kind of like the guy who is interested in dating the girl and now has to convince her that it's a good idea. I don't know how they go about that, other than just to say, hey, this is us. This is this is the way that we work. And see how it goes from there. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Let's go to the phones with Richard. Richard, how good are you? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Fantastic. Well, I want to make
1: a quick comment. Uh, Now Now that I've listened to AM980, I know now that the world is round for a fact. Three of your colleagues today on AM980 informed me of that. Anyways, I really get a kick out of those three. But having said that, Mike, I just want to very quickly tell you, right, about my worst traffic jam story. But it turned out wonderful, right? Saskatoon right is very similar to London they have a train right that goes through Saskatoon's west side right through the heart of the city one time a friend and I got stuck right at the railroad tracks on 20th Street West in Saskatoon anyways I never thought that train was ever going to move again. Anyways, we were very fortunate, Mike. It was close to a pizza restaurant, so I got out of the car and I went to the pizza restaurant, Mike. And I got us a pizza and I got us some coffee, and we sat there right and we waited right and we enjoyed our pizza right, and it turned out very well because at the time, Mike, right, news talk, right, was on at the time with John Gormley, so we got to listen to news talk, right, for an hour, and we got to eat our pizza, right, and drink our coffee, and the traffic was. Lined up all the way back on 20th Avenue, P South, as in Peter, all the way to St. Paul's Hospital, but finally, right, Mike, it did, um, the train did start again, and we did get out of there, but we were there, like I said, for an hour, Mike, but like Saskatoon, London's the same way. There is no way that CN or CP Rail are ever going to move their tracks, right? So that is a totally dead issue, but anyways, you have a good afternoon, Mike. Okay,
0: Richard, hang on just a second. I just want to make this clear. Did you have a car in the traffic jam, and you left and went and, and had pizza?
1: I went and got us a pizza. What I did, right, no, the gentleman, right, that I was with, the guy that I worked with, he stayed in naturally right behind the wheel of the car. Okay. I, I went to the pizza restaurant, got the pizza, came back, and we sat in the vehicle and ate the pizza, Mike, right, and drank our coffee and listened to news talk, right, John Gormley. So it wasn't bad, but it is frustrating for people, right, Mike, when they got to get to work on time. You have a good afternoon.
0: You have a great afternoon. (laughs) I've always wanted to be able to do that. Leave during a traffic jam. You should never. Don't do that. Don't take my advice. It's just something I've always wanted to do. Um, (laughs) We'll see what happens as we get... More and more traffic jam stories. You can email those to Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Or if you've got a great one like Richard, that constitutes great right there. 519-643-2222. Rose says, as far as as, uh, Kawhi Leonard goes, uh, decent analogy on basketball. I'd feel a little sorry for him, except for the millions that he gets. Yeah, I mean it's not like these guys are get; they have to change cities. So Kawhi Leonard's not going to be able to walk the river walk as much anymore in San Antonio, which is a great spot, but he is still making a lot of money. In fact, after this year, if he decides to stay with the Raptors, you want to hear how out of whack sports is. Maybe this will convince you to not pay attention to the Kawhi Leonard story, but if he were to re-sign with the Toronto Raptors, Take a guess at what he could sign for. Just take a guess. 10 million, 20 million. Some guys in the NBA make 40 million a year. That's out of whack. Things are things are very wrong. He could sign a $190 million deal based on how they have set out their collective bargaining agreement. That's how much he could stand to make over a contract. And I think that would go over 5 years. So you'd be making over $40 million a year to stay with the Raptors. If he chooses to go somewhere else, he actually takes a $50 million haircut. Now, I don't know what a $50 million haircut looks like. Kawhi Leonard has good hair. He spends money on his hair. But a $50 million haircut is what he would get. Coming up after Jacqueline LaBelle and news, we are going to hear from Doug McRae, who's the manager of transportation With the City of London. And even before we get to Doug, I want to play you something from somebody who is on a bike basically every day. He is a cyclist in this city. And he actually felt safe for the first time as a cyclist in this city in one specific spot on Colburn. And if you don't know what Colburn looks like, then take a drive by at some point. Colburn and Dufferin, because the bike lane is protected. First time he says he's felt safe. I want to play you what he said about that, and then we'll talk with Doug McRae about how we make things safer. It came up last night at City Hall for anybody in the downtown that wants to save a little on gas and wants to use a bike. It's, uh, it's not easy, and they will tell you that. And it, it is downright dangerous sometimes. Could we not make more? of what we have on Colburn. Well, ask Doug that. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. This is a great email. It's from Sid. Sid says, Mike, tell the Toronto Raptors I can help them out. My wife turned me down for a second date after our first date, a blind date. I showed up at her door for four days straight with a single rose. On the fifth day, I brought a dozen. She went out with me a second time after that. We were married three years later. Been married for 26. Huh? The Raptors have a year to court Kawhi Leonard. Old-fashioned style. Maybe they bring a rose. I don't know. I don't know what you do. You have to show them around. You have to show them places. Just don't bring him to London, Ontario when there's a train stuck on the tracks at Richmond and Piccadilly and we'll be fine. Don't bring him to London, Ontario and ask him to cycle down King Street. That seems to be a negative as well. Cycling is something that more and more people want to do, would do, if they felt safer doing it. There are those who just say, hey, I'm doing it anyway. And one of those people joined us yesterday on London Live, Steve Kordas. And we got to talking about Colburn Street, which now has the green bike lanes, but it has barriers. They have, I forget what those things are called. They're posts. They're poles. They have fancy names. Grommets? I don't think they're grommets. What are they? Sticks? No. But there's posts. And then there are other barriers, too. I don't know what they're called. But they help to protect the bikes from the vehicles. And Steve actually talked about cycling on Colborn Street in a green bike lane yesterday with set barriers. I rode on that uh, bike lane about uh, three
1: weeks ago, the first time ever, and it was the first time, and that didn't, it didn't occur to me, because like I said, I've been riding for 20 years. It didn't occur to me that I didn't feel completely safe until I was on that bike lane and I could just feel like a level of relaxation that as a cyclist,
3: I don't feel. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what true safety when
1: you're on your bike means. It's a beautiful
0: thing. Huh? How about that? That's for a guy or from a guy who cycles all over the city of London. So didn't realize what true safety felt like until he was on that spot. So can we make more of those? Could we not just have that for every bike lane? Well, that's one of the things we will get into with someone else who does a whole lot of cycling. He's the manager of transportation with the City of London, Doug McRae. He joins us next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let us know the worst traffic jam that you have been in. You can email the story. doesn't have to be long, but we've had a couple already. 980cfpl.ca. One of the ways around a traffic jam is a bike. You can get around traffic jams Pretty easily, you can hop off, walk it on the sidewalk, off-road somewhere. Eventually, you get around. But getting around on a bike in the city of London has its challenges. And talk to anybody who does it on a regular basis. Steve Cordes not only did he say the safest he's ever felt on a bike in the city was on Colburn, where you have the barriers. But he also said he was cycling on Adelaide, and he says the cars were so close to him, he could feel their exhaust on his leg. And that's not what we want. We had a tragedy not too long ago on Adelaide, and it involved a cyclist and a vehicle. And we can count back through a number of them. So could we do on Colburn somewhere else in the city? Could we do that very same thing? Joining us right now is a man who is just back from vacation, and we got to thank him because he's probably answering all kinds of emails and getting really caught up, and yet he's taking some time for us this afternoon. Doug McRae is the manager of transportation with the City of London and joins us on London Live. Doug, welcome back from a little time off.
3: Yeah, thanks, Mike. It was a uh, it was a great vacation, but I spent it on my bicycle, so, uh, <laughs> so that that was good. Dude, where did you go? Doing some reconnaissance in uh,
0: in the Italian Alps. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. Yes, very nice. Okay. Well, now we're back in the city of London where I don't know how much of what you saw in the Alps translates to what you would see on, say, King Street or even what we'll talk about right now, Colburn Street. But it certainly has been a topic of conversation, not just while you've been away, but for a long, long time. And the city has done a whole lot. If we look at what's happening with cycling lanes, we didn't have those green lanes five years ago. We have them now. When you look at at the Colburn Street project. Let's kind of refresh our memories here. What was that designed to do for cyclists?
3: The, uh, the Colburn Street cycle track has its roots in the uh, 2016 London on bikes cycling master plan. So as you say, London has been uh, pretty progressive with its uh, cycling infrastructure for decades now. And uh, in 2016, 2016, we took a fresh look, talked to a lot of Londoners about what they would like to see and uh, how we can, you know, create, create a, a more bicycle-friendly city. So out of that came a recommendation for uh, the Colburn Street Cycle Track. And um, and that uh, so that project went into design and implementation, and uh, we, we see the final product now, and uh, receiving uh, a great a great deal of uh, feedback and conversation about cycling so that's that's all good
0: for anyone who hasn't seen it if you haven't been downtown it has the green bike lane which identifies it and then there are posts which act as barriers between vehicles and cyclists. And we just played the clip before the break, before we got into this discussion, from Steve Cordes from yesterday saying he didn't realize how safe he would feel until he was actually on that particular stretch with those barriers. So feedback, are you getting a lot of feedback like that? Yes.
3: So the so Colburn is called a cycle track, and uh, we're... we're you know, what we heard during the Cycling Master Plan development is that Londoners want to feel, uh, they want to be more safe, and uh, they, they also want to feel more comfortable. And so the cycle track, what it does is uh, provides greater separation between motor vehicles and bicycles. So Colborne has concrete barriers and also uh, bollards that stick up. So it's quite a, quite a visible uh, barrier between the, the motor vehicles and the bicycles. And uh, so that, that that comes with uh, some increased costs and also uh, increased operating, so sweeping and snow plowing uh, obligations. But it's something that uh, we're hearing that the public wants. It's something that's going on across North America and something that council has, uh, has endorsed. So it's... Uh, it's something that's been implemented on Culver Street. We're going to, you know, see how this project works, works out this, uh, the upcoming winter, uh, maintenance will, will be interesting to see that, uh, you know, we'll probably learn some lessons and, uh, learn how to do things better, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a project that in the downtown core where we have higher cycling volumes that it makes sense. And, uh, you know, it, it's, working on Colburn Street, and we also have a study underway right now to determine an east-west route that would cross Colburn Street and connect the downtown to the old East Village.
0: We're talking with Doug McRae, Manager of Transportation with the City of London, so that's the thing that people want to know. Is this something that could be done on another street. So would that be part of this study that you're looking at, hey, could we implement this on another street, an east-west route?
3: Yes, exactly. We It, it may not look uh, exactly the same. Uh, the, the, the design of each uh, bikeway or cycle route uh, can be unique in order to fit into uh, the constraints and opportunities within any any given corridor. So right now, we have uh, there's information on our website. If uh, Londoners want to type in bikeway into the london.ca search bar, they'll find information on, on a, an assessment that we're doing. We're, we're currently looking at four corridors uh, in an east-west direction. So these are Dundas Street, uh, King, Queen's, Dufferin Avenue, and York Street. So we're, we're, we're figuring out which, which uh, route makes uh, makes the most sense for our next cycle track-style project.
0: Now, in, I guess, a, a crystal ball way, if we were to look way into the future, would this be something that would be conceivable in several routes, so several streets doing something like this, like a, a high north and a, a lower south end area, or a, a very far east, very far west, or is it cost prohibitive to be doing it that much, or maybe, like you say, maintenance prohibitive?
3: It, it, it is, uh, yeah, more, uh, there comes greater operating and maintenance obligations, and so we're, doing, we're starting where it makes the most sense, and I think over the coming years, we'll see it uh, grow across London, and there's different ways to achieve that separation that uh, can be... More maintenance-friendly, so we're going to investigate different designs. So the re- recent bike lanes we've done on arterial roads and uh, you know, further away from the downtown core, we've we've incorporated buffers without the uh, the bollards and the barriers, and so that, that provides some increased separation, not to the same ex- extent as Colburn Street, but it is uh, it is an improvement, and uh, we're also going to probably start putting some of our bike facilities back behind the curb and uh, and and that provides a greater level of comfort as well
0: so when you say behind the curb what would that mean
3: uh, sort of be beside the sidewalk is and examples of that we do already have several of those in London on uh, on some of our major arterial roads and uh, and, and that that you know have, having a one directional bike lane beside the sidewalk, as long as it's designed properly at intersections, can also be quite effective. And and we we do have facilities like that. Uh, And an example where we've just improved those is at uh, Fanshawe Park Road and Adelaide Street North. Uh, We have the, the boulevard bike paths there. And we recently installed cross rides, which essentially are like a I like a crosswalk, but dedicated for cyclists. And it's, it's an improved crossing where uh, you know, there's more awareness. And, and again, some of that, those green pavement markings that make drivers more aware of the cyclists and so give cyclists more dif- direction as to where, where they belong on the intersection.
0: Doug, thank you so much for the update on this. Again, welcome back. Keep the Alps fresh in your mind when you're cycling along Colburn. Just, just picture a big mountain out in front yeah, of you.
3: All right, we'll do, Mike. Take care, okay, thanks,
0: Doug McCrae, Manager of Transportation with the city of London. Sometimes, depending on cloud formations, it won't look like the Alps because the Alps are really pointy, but sometimes uh cloud formation will look like mountains so if if you're missing a place with mountains, you got to wait for one of those days. What does this mean? Well, this means that the city is still proactive as far as bike lanes go now that they're underway they will continue to expand on them it's about finding a nice little balance and doug brought up the best point about the actual little guarded off bike lane where you have the posts and you have the barriers that how do you remove snow from it what does that do for snow removal you have to have people with shovels can you fit a sidewalk cleaner down there very easily do you have to move them out for the winter could we do that can you have you know let's let's think about it even if you had plastic barriers i don't know how safe the cyclists would necessarily feel the big concrete ones would feel a whole lot better but you have plastic ones i don't want to run into something plastic every once in a while somebody will hit a highway cone but for the most part you try not to if we could have something like that, that like they have, let's say, at Covent Garden Market, where they're removable, where you can actually get big vehicles in where the ice surface goes right in front of Covent Garden Market, because you can take out those barriers, could we do things like that? Again, we're looking at a pretty big cost, but it would help transportation. Or do we do largely what Doug was describing at the end and throw the bike lane on the other side of the sidewalk? It's what they do in Ottawa in a lot of spots. Works out well. So that's another alternative. Or maybe do we just turn one sidewalk into a bike lane? Would you be up for that? And just have two-way sidewalk traffic? Because let's face it, we're not New York. New York, they have all kinds of pedestrian congestion downtown. And they make it work. What if one side of the sidewalk was for pedestrians and one side of the sidewalk was for cyclists. Would you be in? We'd have to get a lot of signage. There'd be money there. What do you think? Decent idea? Dumb idea? I'm open to criticism. 519 643 You can email Mike at 980 cfplca or tweet me at Stubbs980. I've always been a big proponent of bikes on the sidewalks. When our kids were small, I'll, take, I'll pay the fine. That would be the cost of doing business. Me biking with my kids on the sidewalk. You want to find me? I'll pay that. Cost of doing business. Because I'm not cycling with my kids on the street. Not happening. We cycled on sidewalks all the time. Now they're too big to cycle with me anyway. But we did it all the time. Never got fined. Never even got a warning. Never ran into anybody. We've had this conversation before. But what do you think? Could we do one side of the sidewalk for pedestrians, one side for cyclists, and just save ourselves a whole lot of headaches? Are you in? Five one nine We've got a couple of minutes. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Still trying to figure out how to get around. At least it's not in a big traffic jam like we had earlier right before noon. That thing lasted about 45 minutes to an hour train had a mechanical issue so here's just a brainstorm of an idea i've always been a part of cycling on the sidewalk quite enjoy it lots of room never hit anybody now i know you'd be saying well it's dangerous what if we made one side of the street for cyclists the other side of the street for pedestrians you in dumb idea what do you think 519-643-2222 jack what do you think
2: yeah, hello. Hey, Jack. How are you today? Good, Good. thanks. Um, yeah, the cycling. I am with you on making a uh, sidewalk lane downtown, but you know something? The city could change really, really fast. I'm a cyclist. I love doing it. When you get out to where I am, Wonderland and, and uh, Warncliffe and places like that, let us ride on the sidewalk. Pedestrian traffic is next to nothing, and trying to ride a bike up the side of Wonderland Road at rush hour, you're going to get killed doing that.
0: Yeah, no one touches that. And Adelaide is just dangerous, and people do actually go on Adelaide.
2: Yeah, exactly. And like I said, downtown I can understand, because there's a lot of pedestrian traffic. But, you know, uh, downtown proper, like, say, from Rideout Street across to Adelaide, like you just said, uh, yeah, walk your bike or or stay on the road or make a cycle lane out of one of the sidewalks. But outside of town, make it easy. That's just the uh, city council saying, yeah, okay, you can ride your bikes on these streets outside of downtown proper.
0: Well, you make a good point. There is not much pedestrian traffic if you go along, say, what do we call it still? The golden auto mile, where you're just south of commissioners on Warncliffe. There's not a lot of pedestrian traffic there. Jack, I love the idea. Thanks for the call. Okay. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Dominic, what do you think?
1: Uh well, I have grandkids and I have kids of my own. I have a seven year old, and I think that one side uh for pedestrians and one side for cyclists is the best thing that could ever happen. I think signage is is a lot cheaper than a life.
0: I like that. We can put that on a sign, to tell you the truth. Dominic, thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. Got a break for news. If you are on hold, please stay on hold if you still want to talk about this issue. After news, we are going to talk about how baseball is doing in Canada, because the United States, they're not all a flutter over it. I don't know if the United States gets all a flutter. With Trump as president, can you, can you be all a flutter? I don't think so. It's not a good word for old POTUS. But they are talking about the health of baseball, the future of baseball. I worry for the future of baseball, especially at the professional level. It's dull, in my mind. It's very dull. It's, not enough happens. And I'm an old guy. So, they don't have a lot of people watching this stuff. There are people who do it. In Canada, though, if you look at it as a participation sport, things are doing just fine. We'll address that after Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's talk some baseball because there's no baseball to talk about today. This is one of the very few days during the baseball season where there are no baseball games. Every once in a while, there's a Monday, I think, that pops up in the schedule, too probably mandated in their collective bargaining agreement. Everybody gets one Monday off during the season. Well, this is a time when people still want to talk baseball because there is a lot going on with that sport that is interesting. That sport stretches back to who knows who invented it. What they say Abner Doubleday. Then you can look into historical documents that say, yeah, a bunch of people in New York were doing it. There were a, bunch of people in a farmer's field once they were the first one whatever it started it's been refined it is now a multi-billion dollar industry but what is the future of baseball there have been a couple of series and a couple of features going on in the united states that have been looking at this one was done by the minneapolis star tribune and they were able to actually sit down with twins president dave st peter who seems like a pretty cool guy, and they talked to him, they talked to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, and they looked at a number of different things. Now, one being the attention span of young people when it comes to baseball. And what you have to do is you have to divide things. You can't say, okay, we've got baseball as a sport that you play, and we've got baseball as a sport that you watch, and they're the same thing, because they're not. Because participation numbers in the United States, participation numbers in Canada are up. And we'll talk about those in just a moment with respect to how far up in Canada. Now, in the United States, they're having an issue in that participation numbers are up among adults, but they're not necessarily up among young people. The viewership becomes the biggest concern. Nielsen Scarborough did some research just last year. And they point to baseball being popular with people between the ages of, let's say, 30 and 69. But when you look at the younger ages, yeah, things fall off. Now, I really think you could find that with a lot of things. You don't necessarily have people with the attention span at a young age that are ingrained into checking their phones paying complete attention to a game of anything. I don't care what it is, whether it was the World Cup final. There are times when you can look down and check something. And David St. Peter, Twins president, pointed that out. He he said, I can't make it through a whole game without doing something else. This is a guy who's president of a baseball team at the major league level. I got to do something else. And he says, I don't apologize That I've got my phone. I can see if something's going on. I can go back. And he says, he's not apologizing. He says, I hope baseball is not held to some higher standard. He says, I think people do that with other sports as well. And you know what? He's probably right. And when you look at some Major League Baseball numbers, TV numbers, yeah, they're dropping. But we can't really look at rating systems the way we always have. Because people don't just consume things by way of TV, by way of radio. We've got to have different ways of measuring things, and we've got to use those now. Because the old ways of looking at TV and radio, not the same. You're not going to get the same accuracy. In fact, when baseball looks at its Facebook numbers, because there are games, and there have been Blue Jays games this year, that you can hear on 980 CFPL, but you weren't able to... Find on TV, because they are a Facebook broadcast. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, was quoted as saying, their audience gets decades younger when they put the game on Facebook. You've got a lot of young people who do not even have cable packages, don't even plan to. They don't feel they need it, but they will find other ways to watch it. I still think we're going to see Google wade into this at some point. Facebook has been testing the waters a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of biased to have Rob Manfred talking about it. Facebook's not exactly trumpeting, well, the greatest thing we've ever found is when we put a Mets-Brewers game on Facebook. They're not saying that because it's probably not accurate. But are there advertising revenues that they could take advantage of? Yeah. Are there audiences that they can really reach to a greater extent than maybe they already do? Absolutely. And Google will do the same thing. And Twitter will do the same thing. And whoever else wants to get involved that is not a major cable company will. And in 10 to 20 years, I think they have all the big-time rights. You know, you have DAZN or whatever it is that's gobbled up the Canadian rights for the NFL. And although they ticked off a lot of people last year because you'd have the loading symbol in the middle of the screen as people tried to watch NFL – after a while, they seem to iron out some of the bugs. Maybe this year will be even better. But we're going to see more of that. So I don't necessarily think we can look at these TV numbers and say that's the way it goes. Baseball's doing something pretty cool, and it's spreading across the league. The Twins do this now. I don't think the Blue Jays do, but we'll have to check on that. But there's something called FanCam, and it's kind of creepy. But what it does is it's a technology... And it allows you to get data on the ages of people coming into a stadium. They scan the crowd, and they can tell, looking at a person's face, how old he or she is. Whether they are male or female. Whether they're wearing a hat. I don't think they keep the data for the hat. But they can tell how old a person is. And they're paying very close attention to that. Everybody's going to do that. That kind of data is continuously collected. So, in Canada, what exactly is baseball doing to get people interested in the sport at a young age? And how are those participation numbers growing? Because if you participate in something at a young age, chances are you're going to stick with that. You teach somebody to work out at a young age, under the age of, what, 16? They'll work out their entire life. They they will see a use in that. They will get used to that. And so if you start something early in life, chances are you are going to take advantage of that on into the future. Up next, we'll talk with Baseball Canada about the state of the sport at a participation level in this country. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. About 15 minutes ago, we were talking about cycling on the sidewalk and... Peter has sent an email saying, ah, the city would screw the sidewalk up, or sorry, the city would screw the sidewalk idea up for sure. If you're on the bike path on Oxford West near Oak Ridge, there are bus stop benches right in the middle of the bike path. What rocket scientist thought of this idea? And as always, Peter ends off with, Oski wee wee. Ticats go for first place in the east tomorrow take on the saskatchewan rough riders this is london live it's a presentation of winmar your property restoration specialist my name is mike stubbs we are talking some baseball and looking at whether or not this is a sustainable sport now when you look at participation numbers in the u.s among kids they've declined a bit and believe it or not hockey and lacrosse ...are the biggest growing sports in the U.S. And you would think those are two of the most expensive sports to play. But those are two of the highest rising sports by a lot of numbers in the United States. How about in Canada? Well, let's get a little bit more info from Baseball Canada as to what they do to try and attract people to the sport and how the sport is doing overall based on their numbers. Adam Morissette is with Baseball Canada. Adam, the professional world is getting a bit of a break from baseball, but you kind of live at 365 days a year.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, certainly this time of year, uh, baseball is in full swing across the country with with amateur events going on. Uh, we've got 11 national championships. That Actually, we had one last week in Montreal for our women's event, but we run 11 national championships uh, annually, and uh, a lot of preparation goes into that. And uh, those are happening next month, and then uh, we've also got three national teams that we've taken care of. So it is the dog days of the summer, and uh, we're we're baseball 24/7. That's for sure.
0: Well. We don't necessarily get the full 12 months a year. And you would think baseball itself is kind of deciding where the sport is going. We hear all kinds of stories about that coming out of the United States. They look at TV numbers. Can we look at some Canada numbers, some participation numbers, maybe over, say, the the last three years? What are you seeing?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um each year we we get uh participation numbers reported to us by each of our 10 member provinces and and based on those numbers and in the past 3 years, uh we've actually noticed a significant increase in baseball participation across the country and that's that's for each province. Each province uh some more so than others, but each province has noticed an increase in the past 3 years. And uh you might look back to 3 years ago what was happening and with the Canada's Lone Professional team with the Blue Jays, so They were achieving some success, and uh, I mean, that that directly correlates with with those numbers. But uh, yeah, the participation numbers have have gone up, and now it's kind of up to us to kind of capitalize on that and make sure that uh, our programming at the grassroots level are strong and uh, to keep those kids playing baseball.
0: Sometimes it's easy to say, well, we've seen a jump in numbers up 3% or up 2%. What kind of an increase are we seeing in baseball participation?
4: Uh, generally, it's been over the past three years. It's been it's been around the 15% range. Uh, as I just mentioned, some of the southern provinces might not be that high, but you might have provinces. Uh, just Quebec comes to mind where they've they've been up over the 20% range. So, um, yeah, across the board though, across the country, it's been it's been a steady climb. Uh, in 2015, it was 15%. It's kind of gradually climbed uh since then so again these are based on numbers that are reported to us by each of our 10 member provinces and we're we're certainly happy to to hear that news and share that news each year
0: adam had with us from baseball canada as we look at the state of the game from a participation level and from an amateur level in this country adam one of the things you mentioned right away was females in baseball how about participation on the female side how's it doing
4: yeah, to, to to go along with the increase in in participation overall, we've also noticed a steady climb in uh, in female participants in baseball, which is great, and that uh, that's a direct response to some of the great uh, programming that's going on throughout the country. We actually just had our uh, senior women's national championship in Montreal a couple weeks or two weeks ago, and we we picked our national team that's going to be representing Canada. At the Women's Baseball World Cup next month, and we actually have two other um, all-female national championship tournaments that are going to be taking place in August. And and one of the exciting things um, about one of the events, 16 new Girls, that's going to be taking place in Nova Scotia, is that all 10 provinces will be sending a a provincial team to that event. So that just kind of speaks to the the fact that uh, baseball is growing across the country, especially with uh, in, with regards to females, and um, there's there's proper programming in place and, and good coaching and good competition for these girls to play in. So we're certainly happy to see that, and we look forward to where it can go in the future as well.
0: When you look around the world, females in baseball, is that something that, that we're seeing maybe more females get involved in?
4: Yeah, definitely. And I think it has to do with the the opportunities that they have uh, to play games at the highest levels. I mean, in 2015, if you look back when Ontario and specifically Toronto and the surrounding areas hosted the Pan Am Games, female baseball was included in that event for the first time ever. So it was the first time that female baseball was played at a major multi-sport game. So girls across in Canada and throughout the world now have the opportunity to play for a national team and to play in a World Cup and to maybe even represent their country in a major multi-sport game. So um, it's something for these these girls to kind of look up to and look forward to, and, and it's certainly positive for the sport.
0: We're talking baseball with Adam Morissette, taking stock of how it's doing in this country. When you have an increase of 15%, it must mean that that something is happening to encourage people to play what does baseball canada do right now to try and encourage kids to get involved
4: i think it comes comes down to, to grassroots programming one of the programs that uh that we run is uh is an initiation program for five to eight year olds and it's called rally cap and uh it's a program um, that uh, that's, uh, differs a little bit from a traditional t-ball program in the sense that it's, it's six-on-six baseball, and the, the whole point of the program is to give kids and children their first experience in baseball as many touches with, with the ball as possible, whether that be throwing, receiving, uh, hitting, running, and uh, the, pro- the, the program is designed to do all of this in one hour, which is based on our research, which is... Which is ideal for kids at this this age group, and uh, it gives kids a lot of different opportunity to try baseball and a lot of different things. Uh, the program is nationally sponsored by by Dairy Queen, so we're we're very happy to have a partner such as Dairy Queen Canada on board to uh, to help with the program, and uh, it's growing across the country as well. So um rally cap is definitely something that uh something that we take pride in and and enjoy uh seeing uh achieve success throughout the country
0: so it sounds like baseball but sped up not a lot of standing around
4: exactly exactly the players are uh, actually after each batter the players change positions there's no outfielders involved um and uh yeah it goes really well everybody gets a turn at bat it's smaller uh team sizes so you know there's there's Six to eight athletes per team, so it's not as if you have to wait, you know, until the twelfth batter hits and then you're playing in left field and you never see the ball. So you're you're constantly moving around. They're 20 minute games. You get a 20 minute practice in there, and by by the time it's all done, you've had a really really uh, sound baseball experience. So it's uh, it's something that again has, has achieved a lot of success. Uh, we get great feedback from the program, and we all also get the opportunity to kind of. Uh, fix things up a little bit each year but uh, yeah it's a, it's a great program and strongly encourage people to check with their local associations to see if they're using rally cap because uh, it's a great first experience in the game
0: adam morissette from baseball canada with us adam one last thing in hockey in football facilities will be a big question mark the number of football fields you have the number of hockey rinks you have how about facilities for baseball in canada how are we doing
4: yeah, we're, we're we're doing all right with that respect. I mean, with uh, with an increase in participation, it's also it's also um, sometimes capacity issues are are come to the forefront. So uh, as far as facilities go, we're we're fortunate to have have some great facilities, and I mean our our uh, our local associations are constantly kind of working with uh, with their municipalities and, and their local people to make sure that uh, there's enough facilities. Because I mean. One of the things with participation is you almost you're happy with the increase in participation, but it's almost like you know how do we how do we handle this and how do we keep up with the demand and how do we make sure that we're not turning kids away? So um, yeah, it's uh, it's always uh, it's always a challenge, but something that I think we're we're able to handle.
0: Adam, thanks so much for talking about baseball with us. Good to know that the sport at a participation level is doing very well.
4: Hey, anytime. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Adam Morissette. From baseball Canada. So up about fifteen percent over the last three years. Now that's participation level. Baseball gets knocked in that it isn't the attention spans sport, the short attention span sport. So if you have a short attention span, uh, yeah, it's 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 different. It's it is what's the old thing they say about it? Thinking person's sport. You have to appreciate the nuances of the game. Soccer's like that, too. You can sit down and watch soccer, and you can fall in love with the game of soccer at the World Cup level a whole lot easier than maybe at a club level because everything just seems so big, and it's all stressful, and one goal matters, and I can't take it anymore. Well, there's that about it, but if you appreciate the nuances of anything, a little thing, look at what that person did right there. That's the reason that that worked. Wow. That was amazing. Look at what they're able to do. No one else is able to do that. That's wild. That's when you start to fall in love with the sport. Now, baseball doesn't do itself any favors. You know, you could watch five innings of a game and there could be one hit. But at the same time, there are other things going on. You just have to find a way to get people to appreciate those things. In a stats-driven world, and we live in a stats-driven world, baseball is absolutely ideal. Got a note from Rob. Rob says a friend of mine from my high school days in Burlington was in Montreal for the tournament that Adam Morissette was talking about, the women's tournament. Says her daughter plays on Team Ontario and is a Fanshawe grad, Lindsay Wilcox, and he's Rob says been following their progress and it has been going very, very well. So definitely women's baseball on the rise, not just softball. We're talking baseball. And the idea that this sport is doomed, dying, no, not necessarily. I still think that all sports – now, I used to think it was just baseball. I used to think give baseball 50 years, eh, won't be on the face of the earth. I think it will be because it is fun to play. What happens at the professional level? I'm curious. We're still seeing salary caps go up. We're still seeing millionaire after millionaire after millionaire. We're seeing more attention on the sports world than we've ever seen before. But I'm not convinced that that is going to continue. That you have that attention that will continue in the same way. Sports have turned themselves into soap operas. You know, what is one thing that is dying in the world? I know Marilyn watches General Hospital every day, and Marilyn, I'm... I'm not trying to take General Hospital away. I hope it lasts forever. But soap operas themselves, we've got reality TV and we've got sports, and they've been turned into soap operas. Sports has learned from wrestling in the way that coverage goes. And that is what makes it compelling. Can that last? I don't know. News is next. Jacqueline LaBelle will have that. And then we are going to talk about what begins tomorrow. A couple week long celebration. It's a big one. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. There tends to be a cycle of culture in this world. I don't know how accurate it is anymore, but Europe will start doing something, and then it'll spread to the United States, and then it spreads here. You would think with how small our world is and how open everything is thanks to the internet, it would go more quickly. I don't know really whether it does. I don't pay attention to fashion trends or anything. You should see how I look. You would understand that, but I don't pay attention to that stuff. I think it still holds true, though. A lot of times TV shows work that way. The Office, that was a British show first. Too Close for Comfort with Ted Knight, that was a British show first. We could have a long, long list in all of this. That's not my point. My point is, are we going to have to start watching out for this? Do we have to start calling Masonville Place and White Oaks Mall and asking about this? More and more malls in the United States have decided to, guess what? Charge for parking. Wait a minute. Is this like Canada's Wonderland where you can't get in the gate until you pay 10 bucks? No, not quite. What a lot of malls in the U.S. will do, and our malls are the same around here, you know, it used to be a struggle to get a parking spot just during holiday shopping. That was it. And you'd have to follow the person around and you feel creepy as you watch. And then they duck through a line of traffic and get into their car on the other side and somebody else pulls into the spot. And you go, thought I had them. And then you try and find somebody else who's walking slowly with a bunch of bags that looks like they're leaving. And that little dance plays out. Well, in the United States, what they have started to do is charge money on weekends. Because now it's not just holiday shopping. You have to do that on Saturday and Sunday. So, on Saturday and Sunday in the US, prime spots will now cost five bucks. So, they usually have 60, 100, 200 spaces, however big the mall happens to be. And what they do is they charge five bucks for them. Or one mall in particular in New Jersey actually offers valet parking. Really? Valet parking? For $10 and a car wash while you shop you know what might be advantageous to that valet parking would that eliminate the people who pull up and let somebody off and block off the entire roadway while they're letting somebody off or they pull up to pick somebody up and then they wait there for five minutes don't do that that's annoying but we've got 10 bucks for valet parking at the Garden State Plaza in Paramus, New Jersey, and they give you a car wash while you shop. For 10 bucks. that's a pretty good deal. But when is this going to come to Canada? That's my next question. If you want prime spots, you will pay. And we can just add it into the same discussion that we have once in a while about the cost of hospital parking, which is horrible, which I really still don't understand. I do and I don't. It's horrible. Uh, It's very unfortunate that we haven't figured out a way around that the cost of parking at post-secondary education spots, do we call them that, colleges, universities, other schools, tends to be pretty expensive. Malls have always been nice and free. But now, now, people are starting to get smart on this. People are starting to charge money. And once it works in one place... There's no word that this has come from Europe. This might just be a U.S. thing. Look for us one day to definitely adopt that around here. We'll have to check in to see whether any malls are doing it already. In a moment, we're going to talk pride because it kicks off tomorrow. It is a huge festival for this city, and we'll get the lowdown on some of the things that are taking place this year. London Police Services set to raise the Pride flag tomorrow at their headquarters. And I'm, I'm interested to ask about this. That's where we'll start the conversation. We'll do it next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have a great big festival set to start. I think this is the biggest, isn't it? Does this run the longest? I think it runs longer than Fringe Festival. Pride gets going. Joining us right now from Pride London, Andrew Rosser. Andrew, how are things?
5: Oh, they're great. Things are uh, ramping up. We've got our big launch tomorrow uh, of the eleven days, so we're uh, we're really excited.
0: Is this the biggest? Is this longer than the Fringe Festival? I'd have to look that up. You know, I think
5: depending on the year, I think sometimes the Fringe does go a full two weeks. Okay. Um, But yes, we're definitely uh, one of the longest uh, events that happen in the city.
0: Now. It used to be just Pride Parade, and that was fun, and then things continue to grow. This year, would you say Pride 2018 is bigger than Pride 2017?
5: Absolutely. Every year we uh, we try and add new activities and events, um, while keeping, obviously, some of our favorites. Obviously, the parade and outdoor festival are kind of the the mainstays. But um, every year we're looking to expand and make our, our festival more inclusive and have more offerings for kind of every everybody in the city.
0: Let's look at tomorrow. We've got the pride flag being raised in at least one spot that I know of. It may happen in other spots being ra- raised at London Police Headquarters. Is that something that you plan to be at?
5: Absolutely, yes. Um, this is, I believe, their third year that they're raising the flag um, and it's such a great show of support. Um, the police are very supportive of our community and work year-round to keep our community safe, um, and they they really do uh, support us throughout the festival, and I'm thrilled to be there for the flag raising. I know Western put theirs up on Monday. Fanshawe is either putting theirs up tomorrow or uh, on Friday, and I'm sure there'll be lots of other flags going up around the city.
0: Andrew Rosser with us as we talk Pride London on London Live. When we look to Toronto, there always seems to be that underlying tension between police services and the Pride Festival. In London, can you describe what it's like?
5: Yeah, and, I, you know, it's not unique to Toronto, although um, the Toronto in uh, Pride incident with Black Lives Matter a, a couple years ago really kind of brought to the surface the issues of policing in our communities and and how the massive police presence in such a celebratory event um, in all cities can be problematic when we think about our more marginalized groups, like our, our members of our trans community or member, uh, people of color or our indigenous people. Um, so I think it's really brought around the conversation about uh, authentic uh, participation and pride and how can we be more inclusive and if Removing the uniform um, from the parade is one way to do that. We need to listen to our communities. um, And we were thrilled that the police are still participating, um, just not in uniform.
0: Is that a conversation you feel is still ongoing into this year?
5: Absolutely. I've been uh, talking about this for over two and a half years. And every community has a different way that they're handling it. Some have uh, asked the police to participate in completely different ways. Um, some have not um, made any changes you know I think the hardest part for me is to see when I think about London police and their 800 staff I think they're all humans and yes there are some horrible systemic things that have gone on in policing and we have a lot of work to do but there are some really great people in that organization that support us and so I think our board's perspective was how can we Work together with the police to make changes and improve relations with these communities without completely getting rid of them. And in in Toronto, with all of what's going on with uh, the investigations, with the, the homicides in the village, and they they had to get rid of the police this year for sure. And uh, I really hope they can mend those um, those relationships because the institute institution of policing isn't going anywhere so we need to make it change and work for all of our communities
0: andrew rosser with pride london joining us as we talk about the start of pride which is tomorrow everyone always wants to know exactly when the parade is andrew what is the date for the parade
5: so the parade is a week from sunday so it is sunday july 29th um we will be uh following almost the exact same route although um early next week we're going to publish our new map we've due to some of the construction on dundas we're going to take a a small detour um to wellington but uh for the most part we'll be on the same route as last year
0: not bad considering the construction (laughs) you must have wondered for a while whether you were still going to be able to have a similar route
5: absolutely well we turned just before the major craziness on dundas but uh with all the buses being rerouted down uh, Queen Street there, we just want to make sure everybody that's there to watch the parade is safe. So we're just going gonna to turn a little earlier and uh, make our way up to the Victoria Park.
0: Okay, and if somebody wanted to find the map, where do they go?
5: So best place would be uh, our website, pridelondon.ca, or our Facebook page.
0: Andrew Rosser with us from Pride London. Pride kicking off tomorrow. London Police Services will be raising the Pride flag at their headquarters. As Andrew says, other Pride flags are already up in the city. Andrew, what else are you looking forward to? What else do we need to know about about 2018?
5: Well, um, one thing that we have so many great events that happen every year. We have one of our largest um, art shows and sales is opening tomorrow. So we have our reception, um, opening reception for that. That's tomorrow night at the tap. Center for Creativity, formerly the Arts Project. Um, And then we have some really great new events like our Pride After Five networking event tomorrow, which is just a chance for um, people to come and network and and talk about their businesses and what they're doing. um, Kind of, you know, for those LGBT plus professionals in the city. Um, And we tomorrow, or sorry, I'm getting my days mixed up, but on Friday, um, kind of a a, passion, a passionate event for me would be our Allied Blood Donor Day. I've done a lot of work with Canadian Blood Services to raise um, awareness around that issue, and I'm really proud that we're the, the one city in Canada that has consistently done this Allied Blood Donor Day for the past five years.
0: That's fantastic. And that's something else that we should look at because there is always a stigma that exists. How do you feel that that's being dealt with now?
5: Well, I think it... It's getting better. Um, The biggest frustration is when I see any community kind of protesting another organization that is trying to do good work. And I think that's what I felt with Canadian Blood Services. Yes, they have a policy that has been discriminatory against um, specifically gay men. Um, But unfortunately, they're governed by Health Canada and health policies are very hard to change. So... You know and we've done a lot of work in the five years to get to where we are there's still a lot of work to do but these allied donor days are a good chance to bring up the topic every year remind people that there is work to be done and that canadian blood services is working on it but also we need blood in our blood supply regardless of what anyone says it saves lives every single day so I'm proud that I have people that come and donate on my behalf every year at Ally Blood Donor Day.
0: And you were mentioning other communities are not having the same success for something like this?
5: Well, um, so five years ago, actually, it started in Toronto, uh, Vancouver, and London. We were the kind of the three cities to try it out. And I know um, Vancouver and Toronto do do them, um, but they haven't done them consistently. So we're kind of the the longest-running Ally Donor Clinic.
0: Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. Anything else that we need to know about? I know we'll we'll get more information as the festival itself goes on, but those are some early highlights, and then the parade itself on Sunday, July 29th. Anything else you want to add?
5: Yeah, you know, I should mention this weekend, because we kind of straddle over the two weekends, this weekend's really big, especially for families. Um, Saturday, we have our Drag Queen story time at the library, so bring out kids for that, and then a Pride Swim at the Boys and Girls Club. We have our awards night, comedy night, um, and our our women's pride party. And then on Sunday, last year, we did our first um, RBC run with Pride. um, And this year, we've added a a 10K along with the 5K and 1K. So register now for that because um, it's going to be a great event. And it's raising money for the Pride London Festival Endowment Fund as well as Atloza Native Family Healing Services.
0: Andrew, look forward to it. You always do such a great job. Congratulations on making it bigger this year and uh, enjoy the start.
5: Thanks so much. And I uh, hope to see you at pride. That
0: is Andrew Rosser from pride London. We will take one final break on the show and we'll be back to close things out. I want to get to an email regarding parking. I did bring up very quickly parking at hospitals. Rob has emailed some info. We'll get to that next. This is global news radio, nine eighty CFPL coming up tomorrow on the show. We're going to jump from baseball participation to overall participation in kids' sports. And we'll be in conversation with Reed Maltby. And he's part of Changing the Game Project. And one of the things that they look at is the elitism of sports. And it's not so much who can play and who can't play. But it is the elite that do play. And the push to be elite, the push to have your kids in all kinds of different schools. In hockey, it's stick handling school and skating backwards school and lacing up your skates fast school and all the other schools that exist. Those exist for soccer and baseball and football. And hey, for high-end athletes, they are fantastic. But there are a lot more people outside of high-end athletes who participate in these things. The other part of it is if you want to play a sport these days and you want it to have any kind of structure at all other than showing up at the Y, you've got to do it four and five days out of the week at the age of seven. And so that's something else that the Changing the Game project looks at. So we'll talk with a man who's very, very passionate about it, Reed Maltby. I think you'll like him. He'll bring up some very interesting things. We mentioned very quickly parking at hospitals, and I just wanted to touch on this. Rob sent an email. He says, if you're someone like me and you make frequent trips, the parking pass is a huge money saver. But at the same time, I mean, listen to this, 30-day pass for $75, that's not bad. And he says, you can share it among the family. You have a year to use it up, doesn't need to be used on consecutive days. So actually, as I do the math on that, that isn't too bad. 30-day pass, 75 bucks. But he says, yeah, there should be a way to make this free. And parking is is one of those things that if you step back and study what has happened in parking, it makes you wish that 20 years ago you'd bought a lot. Because I imagine you could have been able to, to get that lot with a mortgage for what? you know under under 20,000 under 30,000 I don't know I don't know what it would have cost wouldn't have been a huge expense and think of what you could do with that lot now now all of them are being taken over it seems by different private companies but parking has definitely changed now you don't go to downtown toronto without expecting to pay at least 20 bucks right If you go to a game or a concert in London, we're pretty lucky. We can get in what, still for 10 bucks, 15 bucks for event parking? That's not outrageous. If you want to find outrageous, try and go to something at Comerica Park. Try and go to something, try and go to a Lions game or a concert at Ford Field. You're going to pay 50 bucks American to park close. And there are a lot of people who would rather park close than park far away even though downtown Detroit is much better than it used to be, much different than it used to be, you're not going to have people saying, yeah, you know what, I found this lot. It's uh, it's way back there. And when the concert's over in the dark, I'm going to go way back there all by myself and get my vehicle. That isn't something that a lot of people are comfortable doing. So you'll pay 40 and 50 bucks to be close. Parking is absolutely wild, the way that it has progressed. We touched on paying for mall parking spots. We'll have to shoot a note to... Masonville Place and White Oaks Mall just to see whether or not they have any intention of following what some of the places in the United States are doing. The other thing we didn't get a chance to talk about today was autonomous vehicles that do actually run through downtown Detroit and we will make sure and do that tomorrow. London Live is a presentation of Winmar, your property restoration specialist. Coming up next, we have Matt Trevithick, we have Jacqueline LaBelle, and they will have the day's latest stories that will focus in on things like cycling and some of the issues that have come up around cycling in the city. Thanks to Christian Davino. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.